Hi, I'm Martha McDonald. And I'm Sophia Fabili. Welcome back to another season of the Playhouse Podcast. Whether you've been coming to the Playhouse for 30 years or it's your first time, this podcast is a way for us to invite you into the playmaking process. Whether it's acting, directing, design, or life behind the scenes, this podcast gives your ears a front row seat. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Playhouse Podcast. I'm Martin McDonald, Company Manager. And I'm Sophia Fibili, Artistic Associate. And we are thrilled to be back. Marta, it's been a wild time. So much has happened. It really has. As we begin, we want to acknowledge that we are recording today in Gananoque, Ontario, which is located on the ancestral land of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and the Anishinaabek Nation. On behalf of the Playhouse, Marta and I want to recognize the traditional caretakers of this land and the incredible privilege we hold in living here, working here, telling stories here, and making podcasts here. <laughs> if you're joining us for the first time, welcome! The Playhouse Podcast is a pre-show podcast. And we like to say that this is the kind of podcast that warms you up for the show you're about to see. But but this episode is different. To kick us off for the 2021 season, we have put together this special edition episode to recap some of the silver lining projects that we accomplished during the pandemic. And we wanted to say that even though we're super proud of these projects, it's been like a truly disastrous time for the theater industry worldwide. So yes, we made some lemonade, but the lemons are still sour. We should totally put that on a t-shirt. I would wear that (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Um, So, okay, Marta, tell us, how did these Silver Linings projects come to be? Well, uh, back in June of 2020, the Playhouse staff of 10 met socially distanced in the empty rehearsal hall. A hall, which I will say, was supposed to be rehearsing a 14-person production of The Music Man at the time. And so our staff came together and we were asked to bring ideas for what we thought we could do as an organization with this time that we had. And we brainstormed this humongous list. A number of those ideas did come to fruition, and unfortunately, we won't be able to cover them all today unless we did a five-hour podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But to shout out our Playhouse staff, we accomplished so much. We accomplished significant renovations, funding and building a live stream studio and figuring out how to live stream things. Uh, We created a whole new COVID safety protocol everything uh we did a bunch of communication with our subscribers and our community we wrote twenty-seven thousand grants (laughs) and we spent time sharpening the company's mission statement and we also uh planned a season oh yes in like half the time we usually do yeah that's right we did do that (laughs) but for today we are going to cover three initiatives which are education anti-racism and community And we're going to delve into one specific project from each of those umbrellas that will continue forward this season, 2021, and beyond. Let's do it. First up to bat is education. So, Sophia, you were one of the two people involved in the education department. Why don't you give us a little intro about how it all worked out? Okay, so essentially myself and Sarah Dennison, who is the incandescent box office manager of the Thousand Islands Playhouse, who we're actually going to hear in a moment, uh, Sarah and I were paired up to build some education programming. Can you give us a quick overview of what kind of projects you did? Sure. So we did a bunch of online drama workshops for local high schools. Uh, We developed a huge project with the Limestone District School Board called the Theater Arts Inquiry Box. Uh, We created an arts and crafts series called Maker Studio and a writer's workshop called the Storyteller Circle. All of these things were incredible and I wish we could talk about all of them. But me too. Let's focus on storytellers. Can you give us a breakdown of what that is? Sure. 
So Storytell the Circle is a weekly writing group that explored personal storytelling. So participants, uh, they were interested in archiving family stories, memoir, and even writing short stories. So each week we met on Zoom and um, we had a different theme or lesson. We gave the participants writing exercises and prompts and we also assigned like larger writing project projects where we like read them and gave feedback and we also had special guests authors who came in to talk to us and it went super well yeah it really did (laughs) it was so fun and uh, sarah and i i mean this was very much sarah's baby but sarah and i ran it together and so i'm very excited to share this conversation that we have with sarah about her experience and why she thought storytellers was a great venture for a tip I think that um, in terms of why it worked, um, there's like lots of different factors involved there. I think a big factor was the fact that we are in a pandemic and uh, a lot of people's uh, winters, falls, winters, springs were, were shaken up and were not, uh, were not as they usually are. So people were looking for different things to do um, in those, w- those long winter months where sometimes boredom takes hold and you're sick of streaming the same shows on Netflix and that sort of thing. And I think also people were really craving that human connection, even though that we had to be over Zoom, which isn't ideal, especially when you're talking about, you know, writing and being creative, but it was the best we had to work with. So I think that it was also that craving that people had to, uh, to have something to do from, from week to week and to, to build a, a little community of people, even if it was over Zoom. And then also, I think that the more time people had in a pandemic to think and ponder, the more people start to think about their own stories and think about the ways that they want to tell those stories to the people that they love and to think creative ways to tell family stories or that sort of thing. What do you see as the, like, the future storyteller circle? Well, like I said, we don't always have time, especially from a box office perspective, because my, my dream is that I will uh, soon become too busy for certain things again, because uh, I want to get people back into the theater. Um, but I think that I began the storyteller circle, like I said, as this thing to pivot to something else to, you know, take up that space in our brains while we were waiting to put theater on on the stage. But I think it became more than that through the course of of the months we were able to do it. And I think that also over the winter in this quote unquote downtime, we thought a lot about uh, the purpose of the Playhouse in general and our mission statement, which is that we put stories first, center stage, you know, and I think that that storyteller circle is so deeply woven in that, in the, in the fact that it's the stories we're putting on stage, but it's also those people that are in our Playhouse community, like the people that took part in the storyteller circle, whether they're patron members, subscribers, people who have just been here a couple of times, those, those are their stories for us to also put center and thinking about telling those stories as well. So the mission statement that we were mentioning earlier that we landed on was that the Thousand Islands Playhouse puts people center stage. And I really, in my bones, believe that Storyteller Circle does this in spades because we were empowering writers to see their value in their own stories and the value in them putting pen to page. And to hear the inside scoop on what an experience was like being a participant in the Storyteller Circle, we did speak to Beth Hart, who is a longtime Playhouse supporter and board member. And writer extraordinaire. Here's what Beth had to say. Beth, what do you think is the value of a weekly writer's group? Um, I think it increases your accountability. So it, it pushes you to get those ideas out of your head and put them down on paper, the ones that you've been thinking about. 
And uh, when you know that someone else is going to hear them, I think it improves your editing skills. You read your reading and listen to it not only with your own head, but you listen to it the way that you think other people might perceive it. Nice. Um, and scale of one to 10, how fun was Storyteller Circle? <laughs> one being so not fun and 10 being lovely. Ten, 10 was lovely. I looked forward to it every every week. And we always went over time. So we just didn't want the fun to stop. That's right. I love Beth Hart. She mm-hmm. said the Storyteller Circle was a daffodil in spring. And what a writer. This, and this, what a writer. <laughs> and the same could be said about her. But anyways, I just wanted to say, like, reflecting on this whole creating an education department thing, that I think one of the biggest things I realized is that how deeply creative people are. And so much of what our education offering did was about giving people permission to be creative and letting them shine. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for the Playhouse to foster audiences' creativity. It really helps people to understand and appreciate like the art that we put on our stage through their own creativity. Um, but our education efforts expanded beyond just the art form, right? Yes. Let's dive into our anti-racism work now. I think the past year offered a lot of people some additional time, no matter where they were on their journey, to reflect on personal privilege and inclusionary practices in their lives. The Black Lives Matter movement has been around for a long time, but after the murder of George Floyd, it came into the international spotlight. And Marta and myself and the Playhouse staff spent a lot of time talking about the power that we hold in being an arts organization whose purpose is storytelling and reflecting humanity through the art of theater. You know, I think you look at your own life and you think, what should I do? What can I do in various aspects of my world? And the workplace is a place that anyone can have a large impact. Totally. So the Playhouse staff, we began to have discussions about anti-racism and what belonging really looks like. And we all agreed that the organization had a responsibility to reflect on its past and to grow in a vibrant direction. Yeah. The first step was to connect with the board of directors. Having their support and starting to work together from the beginning allowed real change to be made at a much quicker pace. An equity, diversity, and inclusion committee was created consisting of myself, Sophia, Brett Christopher, and three board members. We began having frequent meetings and developing a list of initiatives, goals, and plans for the 2021 season and beyond. We also hired an advisory group, which is an amazing team of Black and Indigenous theater creators who are paid consultants. Uh, We recognized that in order to put anti-racism initiatives into action, we needed new perspectives around the table. What I think we're looking to achieve is that the work becomes not just a 2021 initiative, but a regular part of all the work we do. Looking at all projects through an EDI lens becomes given in every aspect of the organization. We're coordinating staff training and having ongoing discussions as a staff because inclusion doesn't happen unless everyone buys in. We're also working on including a broader spectrum of voices in the art that we produce. And to help foster new work, we launched Creative Catalyst Playwrights Intensive with Black Theatre Workshop Montreal and Native Earth Theatre in Toronto. So Three companies coming together to make a playwrights unit, which will offer paid opportunities for emerging Black and Indigenous creators, and we're really excited about it. Mm -hmm. One of the champions of our anti-racism work and the chair of our EDI committee is our board vice chair, Steve Tanner. We asked Steve uh, how his work has been for him, and let's take a listen. Starting uh, the EDI working group, what has your experience on that group with that group been like? It's it's been good in in the sense that you know, on, on a personal level, um, you know, I would say just like many people over the last year, you know, just my awareness of equity, diversity, and inclusion, anti-racism, um, 
you know, the challenges that many groups of people uh, face. You know, my awareness has been raised. Um, my understanding of of the challenges that people face and the barriers that they're confronted with, you know, has risen. And so um, it's, it's really now for me, you know, this is part of my personal journey is just raising my own understanding and awareness and reflecting on, you know, what are the things that I can do uh, in the organizations I'm involved with. And so, you know, uh, so on a personal level, this has been kind of part of, part of my journey. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's been a great opportunity, um, you know, by having a working group with a focused mandate um, and people, you know, uh, like you and, and Brett, you know, and, and Beth and, and Charlotte on the committee that are committed to the principles and the values of, of equity, diversity and inclusion, you know, as well as anti-racism that, you know, you've got some committed people. And I think we're making good progress. We've identified many areas, you know, for quick wins and, and opportunities that we can put in place for the short term. Um, and we've also got a long-term look at things. And um, I think one of the, the key principles that we've stuck with is, is, is putting our focus on, we're here to change the culture, you know, to nurture a culture of, of equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, and treat this as, you know, how do we modify the organization and not just have this as a one-off project so that we can kind of tick the boxes and say, okay, we've done it and sort of grab our hands and say, you know, we're done, let's move on. Like we're really embracing the concept of, of as I say, creating a culture that nurtures, uh, you know, a substantial change uh, in the organization. I think if I'm like thinking about our audiences, I feel like we've heard this idea, you know, the Playhouse, like, it's such a welcoming place. What you know? We're, we're nice. What are you talking about? When people don't, they don't quite have the awareness yet at what's at the heart of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and what's at the heart of the initiatives that we're trying to make happen at the Playhouse. So, for the person who has this very rosy um, view of the lovely dockside theater that is the Thousand Islands Playhouse. Um, which, you know, we all know and love and also has a very white history. There's lots to say there. But what would you say to that person who goes, but the theater's so nice. We never did anything wrong. How would you, how would you raise their awareness? What do you have to say to that person? I mean, I would say, I think, you know, on, on one perspective, they're probably right in that the Playhouse for its audience has always been welcoming in terms of... Uh, um, you know, putting on shows that they like, you know, that cater to their interests um, and, you know, provide service, um, um, you know, in, in terms of the amenities, parking and, uh, you know, things like that. And so we do our best to provide good customer service, but it's been a relatively limited, um, you know, group of people in, in terms of their diversity um, and in the, in the stories. And so the what we're trying to do is, is just broaden, you know, uh, the way we make more people feel welcome. And so we've been very welcoming to, uh, you know, the people that have come, but a lot of people, A, probably aren't aware of us, and B, if they are, may not feel welcome based on, uh, you know, the, the, the people they're sitting with or, or the, um, you know, the shows we're putting on. And so our, our hope is that by, you know, first of all, starting with the art and, and 
you know, diversifying the nature of the stories and the type of art that we present, um, that we can appeal to a broader uh, audience. One of the things I've taken from my own anti-racism education is the value of lateral learning, which is the sharing of information uh, between uh, people in a group. This also takes the pressure off of people of color, for example, who tend to be the teachers when it comes to the anti-racism conversation. Um, So this is something that I've been really excited about what we're doing at the Playhouse is trying to share information, trying to learn as a team. Um, I think that's a really good thing. Collaboration station. Yes. Agreed. And tying education and anti-racism together, I think that there's some really important steps forward that we can learn together also with our audiences and our community. Yes. And speaking of community. (laughs) Nice segue. (laughs) Let's do it. You got it. Without the theater in 2020, we needed to find ways to connect and serve the people around us. Over the last few years, TIP has begun to widen its doors for community events, hosting various groups and events in our spaces, and we would often participate in community-wide celebrations, but it felt like we could do more. Marta was tasked with being community manager as her temporary (laughs) new job title, although a far cry from being company manager, just a one-word change, uh, still C-words, however. Um, It's not unfamiliar to work you've done, though, Marta, with the company before, right? Yes, event planning runs in my blood. I honestly can't stay away from fundraising events and concerts. It's like every time TAP is doing one of those things, I just gravitate right towards it. So this was perfect for me. (laughs) Most of you listening have probably seen photos or posts posts uh, about these community events but Marta why don't you tell us what kind of projects we created this year well let's say nothing was off limits that's fair (laughs) we played a movie in the parking lot we gave out free Halloween candy we facilitated a coat drive we decorated for the holidays we surprised people with pizza and we created a winter blues buster activity calendar for the dreary months of January and February Our goal was to engage, to surprise, and to delight our community. And I think you did all of those things, Marta. But out of all of the spirit-lifting events that we held, Marta, I would like to know, Mm -hmm. which event was your favorite? You know, I already know the answer, but go ahead. (laughs) You would think that it was reverse Halloween because of all the candy that lined the walls of my office, but it was, in fact, music on the block. Okay, I would just like to also say that Marta never ate the candy. (laughs) She actually didn't eat it. I, I didn't ate, eat a single piece of candy. I ate some. Anyway, <laughs> um, okay, Marta, tell us, remind us, what is music on the block? Well, with performance venues closed in summer and fall of last year, we decided we would infiltrate the town with music in less conventional locations. So we had over 50 musicians in over 20 loca- locations across town parks, on people's porches, and outside local businesses for three weekends in September of 2020. And what was the community response? There was an amazing turnout at every event, and everyone was so respectful of, like, COVID protocols at the time. I think people were just kind of, like, itching to get out of their houses to get to something, and and everybody was, and the weather was so nice. It was just, it came, it all came together perfectly for safety and fun. I mean, there's people literally dancing in the streets. So, I mean, how could you complain about that? But yes. They weren't supposed to. (laughs) Yes, right. Social distancing dancing. Um, But tell us, like, why do you think Music on the Block is a project that TAP should produce? Gananoque and the surrounding area has such a large, rich music community. Um, It only made sense to sort of bring people together and feature them all in one festival. Um, We've, TIP has produced the the Studio S Classical Music Series. And before that, we did a Monday Night Series, which was various concerts on Monday nights. But I think 
music on the block is was a way to kind of bring back the diversity in the style of music that TIP was a part of presenting. I love that. Okay, Marta, top secret question. <laughs> the question all the listeners are dying to hear. Uh, what is the future of music on the block? Is there going to be one in September? Well... I will say we have applied for some grants to operate in fall 2021. I've been in touch with lots of people to partner and expand. And although it might look different since a lot of venues will be open, um, I think it could easily become an annual event that will run throughout the fall in town. I love it. Marta, we're just about the end of our sweetest little episode here. But can you tell me, like, looking back on this marathon, weird (laughs) alternate reality that we've been living in where we had different jobs and wore masks and work from home, Mm -hmm. um, what do you take away from all of this time? This past year has been a challenge, to say the least, but I feel like we made the most of of what we could with it. Um, So at this moment, um, while we're recording, we have scheduled a 2021 season. And we've already had to move our first show from July to November, but we were prepared for that. You know, we are resilient and we will continue to be resilient. Totally. And what I'm really excited about when I kind of like start to look ahead to like possibly going back to some form of normal Mm -hmm. is the ways in which these new like these new projects that we've worked on education, anti-racism and community, how we can intersect those into our theater Uh, programming so Mm -hmm. whether that's like community events after a show or like a student matinee with a workshop or yeah just the ways that I think theater and and these projects can kind of um yeah be sewn together and really interesting blend them into our regular our regular year yes 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 cool let's do it uh well we grow and evolve and we continue to push forward and before we wrap we do want to share a snippet from an interview we did with our boss Brett Christopher we asked Brett as the leader of the organization What value in these initiatives have been solidified over the past year? Why can't we just go back to making plays? Here's what he had to say. Things like education have always been part of our mandate. It's just been woefully underserved because we've always spent all of our time and money uh, making the productions. And I think in some small way, we have dislodged ourselves from only identifying as a playmaking machine and an audience machine into uh, a true arts organization, an organization that bears the responsibility of, I mean, I think the impact that the arts have had on me personally is very profound. I'm sure that you both say the same thing. And I think the impact that organization can have on the region, if not beyond, is very profound and far more profound than just sitting in a a theater and watching a play. And I feel like, you know, you you asked the question, like, are we just going to go back to make plays? Be like, we can't, we can't. We've had, this, we've had these things that have happened to the organization, not a pivot, an evolution. The organization has changed. Do we still believe in comedy? Do we still believe in music? Do we still believe in the arts to change the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. But these other things that have profoundly impacted us, our community, uh, the way that we interact with people, I think will we'll be a part of organization forever. And I think we we were only getting stronger. I think progress is only getting, you know, the progress that has been made over the last year will just continue to grow and continue to grow. And, and for me, that's a very exciting part of why I want to continue to work for this organization. Well, that's it, folks. We are so happy to share with you our Silver Linings projects that we were able to create out of the year of the pandemic. All the candy we collected for reverse Halloween made our sour lemonade sweeter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Please keep an eye out for more podcast episodes coming your way this summer. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. 
This podcast is produced by Maya Fim Many thanks to Terry Lynn for all her help. Thank you also, Mark Hunt, TIP's head carpenter, for composing the music for this podcast. Follow us on social media and at thousandislandsplayhouse.com. 